Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Dubai Stars. Today, my guest is a pillar when it comes to sales, training, and everything related to our industry. Dr. Anad Manan, thanks a lot for being on the show. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Anthony. So today we want to introduce to all of the viewers and everyone watching this episode what you have done so far in terms of your training, the techniques, the skills, and especially in the real estate industry. Can you tell us more about that? All right, okay. So uh, when I actually first got into sales training, I, did, I started by doing a lot of research. I wanted to find out what actually worked. Uh, so I started by actually attending some training programs myself. And I seriously put myself into the position of someone who was looking to find the right kind of techniques where he could create the right influence to be able to close the deals in as short time as possible. I found that a lot of the sessions that were there were not really giving the right kind of skills or techniques. I mean, they, they went through the standard processes of the cold calling, the prospecting, the qualifying, and everyone knows that today. YouTube is enough to teach you that. But I couldn't find very specific programs pertaining to this part of the world, to the industry, say real estate, for example, or banks. I've done work with banks as well to get specific examples that worked regardless of the culture. That was what I found was really missing. That was the first thing. Uh, why this became important when you have 200 nationalities living in Dubai and you have 170 nationalities or investing in property, culture does play an influence. How people make buying decisions. How do they approach even studying and researching a property? What exactly are they looking for from an agent or a broker when they want to buy a home with them? I found that those were not being touched on. The second thing which I found was a huge gap in the training programs is while there was a lot of focus on some on the process, very little was being done to understand the personalities of the person who was making the buying decision. It's a huge decision for some people. Five million dirhams, blood, sweat and tears has gone into making that money. But I couldn't find programs that helped the salespeople understand the personality of the buyer not just the personality of the product and then their own unconscious selling personality. So I started to contact uh, some of the best in the industry worldwide, number one, top, uh, people who are in, in the Guinness Book of World Records, top 1% of the industry, started communicating with them, buying their books, reading it, watching their videos, writing out some techniques, sending it back to them and asking them, would this work if we did something like that? And the feedback I got was very encouraging. So what I decided to do then was, I have to field test the programs. So I started using some of these techniques in 18 different countries with about 15,000 salespeople in the last 15 years. And it didn't matter whether I was training in the UK, Glasgow, London, Birmingham, whether it was in Cairo, in Egypt, Jordan, Kuwait, Singapore, Canada, India, Dubai. I found that these techniques worked every single time. And the reason it worked was we adapted the techniques to fit the personalities of the buyers as well as the sellers. And that was a huge revolution when I, when in the program that I was actually bringing out here. I also realized something else going forward. Salespeople after some time, they sell the same product again and again and again. It can get very monotonous, very boring. Now they had the passion and the excitement when they started selling it first. But then once you presented it 20 times, 30 times, 200 times, some of the fire is gone. And the best uh, example of sales is a transfer of passion from one person, from the salesperson's mind to the mind of the person who's buying. 
So imagine now I have this client who walks in, he comes out of Nigeria. He's new to Dubai and he meets this sales guy who has exhausted himself of the enthusiasm for presenting that community. And he goes through it mechanically because he just said it so many times. And that buyer hears it in the same way. And when he hears it, he does not get excited about the opportunity because he cannot see the excitement of the person selling it. So it became really important to teach salespeople to own what they were selling. Also to move from information to inspiration. It's not information, it's inspiration that sells. And what I found was people were more into the information. People really don't care about your product. All they're interested in is what is your product going to do for me? If you're going to call me and say I'm from Provident and we are say property management services, you sound like anybody else in the market. I don't, I'm not interested in knowing that. What you need to tell me is what is going to be my experience, my peace of mind once I agree to hand over my properties to you, what's my experience going to be for the next five years with you? So experiential based learning, inspiration based learning, influence based learning, which came from the person, there was a huge gap in that. Another area that stood out a lot is I found that a lot of people when they got into selling in the first place, some of them got into it by accident. They probably were just looking to get a job something to hold me for a few months, I move around, build a network, flash my CV around, they make some money, that's fine. But some people when they started doing this, got excited about it, they found themselves in there. These are the guys who are ruling today when it comes to selling at least in Dubai. Then there are the others who have got into it and they don't even understand why they are in sales in the first place. I've asked this question to so many people, I said, why are you selling real estate, for example? Why are you here? Huh? Why you're here? Yes. Why are you selling real estate to make money? I said, you can make money selling boats. You can make money selling fruits and vegetables. Look at Barakat. He's becoming a billionaire selling pineapples and cabbages to hotels. So why are you selling real estate? And they don't have the answer. Money is a result of what you do. I make my money, I sell education. So why real estate? And they cannot answer that question. Another major problem that I found with people, which I have been now working on changing, is the consistency of the approach that they use. Anthony, there's only one way you can make more money in sales. If I ask people how do you make money in sales, I usually get the answer by selling more. Now, there's no intelligence in that answer, quite frankly. The only way you can actually make more money in sales is by shortening the length of your sales cycle. Now, yes, we work in a limited time frame, first to the 30th of the month. After that, my counter winds down to zero. Again. Right. So, <laughs> the only way to make more money is to reduce the length of the cycle, which is from the moment I get the lead till the moment he signs the deal or the check. And if I can shorten the length of the cycle, I can fit more cycles in a fixed time frame that doesn't change. So if I can do that, I increase the value of my deals and the volume of my deals. And, I and if I can do this consistently, that is how I will make more money in selling. For that, I have to look and evaluate my process. Very few salespeople, even fewer companies are evaluating the actual selling process. So if it's taking me nine phone calls to speak to a person, what can I do to speak to him and say six phone calls? I will reduce that part of my process by 33%. If it's taking me three viewings or seven viewings before I can close the house, why uh, can't I do it in three? Or how do I bring it down to three? 
So I found that when you started to work on evaluating every step in the selling process and then working on making those more effective is when people became consistent, people closed more deals, so volume went up, they also closed higher value deals. So you increase volume, value as well as consistency. Another very important thing, I'll probably then maybe if you have something else to uh, throw into it, is pulse checks. It amazes me how many salespeople mechanically go through a process without at different stages checking if the client is emotionally, intellectually alive in the process. So let's say I invite this client to come, he meets me at a sales center. I go to a model, I'm deciding to sell maybe a Ruba at an Arabian Ranches 3 or an Imar Beachfront or a Damak Lagoons. I take the client to the model and I start pitching from the model and I take them all through the model in a mechanical way. Every client buys differently but I have a standard pitch. The moment I finish from the model, I take the client with me and go to another model and start showing him something there. That's the wrong way to do it. Physically, I'm dragging my client in the process with me. But how do I know if he's emotionally engaged with me yet? I should have at the model conducted a pulse check. How do you check if a person's alive? By checking the pulse. So I need to check that the prospect is alive with me and is growing at each stage. So if I know that the client is not alive with me in that stage, I do not go to the next stage because I am dragging a dead body. I will physically go through the process because the client's not going to get up and walk away. But there's no deal coming at the end of it. And you'll end up with things like, let me think about this. I need to talk to somebody. You'll hear all of that because we never evaluated if this client was fully in it. So let, how do you conduct such an evaluation? For an example, I'm presenting to Anthony. Anthony is there with me at Arabian Ranches 3, the model. Once I have presented, what is important for Anthony? Because there's so much in that model, in that community. I only need to talk about things that Anthony is interested in. Once I've done that, at the model, I should be asking certain questions. So the question would start with, must take the name of the client. I would say, so Anthony, do you have any questions about Arabian Ranches 3? At that point, the quality of the questions being asked by Anthony will tell me if he's genuinely interested in the community or he's asking surface level questions simply because I asked. Yes. So <coughs> I simply find out, do you have any questions? The quality of the questions will tell me. Now, once I've answered the questions, I would say, so Anthony, what did you like about Arabian Ranches 3? You see, now that's where my pulse check starts. If I move away from the model and then I say, Anthony, what did you like? Uh, but, uh, Arabian Ranches 3 has disappeared from Anthony's head. He saw it just once. I've seen it 200 times. So when I ask, what did you like about Ranches 3? I will listen to the tonality of the voice, the excitement with which he will tell me, I love this, I liked that. This is an amazing opportunity in the community. And then I will take it to the next level and say, so Anthony, wouldn't you say this is exactly the kind of community that you would like to live in with your family for, say, the next five years? And if he says, well, yeah, this, company, yeah, this community makes sense. And the tonality tells me that's an eight on ten. Now I know on the model, he loves this community. I use, simply use a power and say, great, fantastic. Please come with me. Then I move to stage three. At every single stage, we must have pulse checks. If we as salespeople don't have pulse checks, we have only ourselves to blame. If at the end of the process we're going to hear, let me think about this or I'll come back to you. Which they never come back. 100%. 
anyone who says let me come back to you is not he's actually telling you you haven't been able to engage me enough i've come all the way to meet you in the middle of the desert with 40 degrees i obviously had the interest but somewhere in your approach and process you actually killed that interest in me so what I started doing is I created what we call the progressive selling model where all of these things that I've been talking about has been factored in. And the results that we are seeing today is the fact that people who take it as training, apply it, are getting the results. In Provident itself, we had a couple of examples given today when we had the awards where they took the training, applied it and immediately they began to see the results. So. Uh, we also know that it is working because if you talk of the best names in brokerage, best names in developers, they're all currently looking at the progressive model. How important is qualifying <coughs> in our industry? Qualifying <coughs> is one of the most important things you can do. However, before I can even qualify, there is something that needs to be done, which is called the warm-up and the rapport building. I find salespeople, particularly in Dubai, are extremely weak on this. Understand this, if I don't fully trust you, if I am not absolutely comfortable with you, I will answer your questions, but I might not necessarily be revealing the full intent of what I'm looking for. My dominant buying motives might not come out. And most salespeople, when you listen to qualifying, they ask the most basic questions. What kind of a home are you looking for? Do you have a community in mind? What's your budget? That's uh, the one I what, hate. That's the one I hate. What's your budget? Uh, how soon are you planning on making the buying decision? But all of these are surface level answers and they do not give me the thinking behind the answers. I need to understand the why. Why? So for example, do you have a community in mind? Well, yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like Dubai Marina. Okay, that's interesting. Why Dubai Marina? I have to be able to understand the driving motive for Dubai Marina. You can have an equally amazing lifestyle in a Dubai Creek Harbor. You can have it uh, in the downtown area and you, you can have it in a few other communities. There are so many waterfront communities that can give you that. Why Dubai Marina? That becomes important. So I don't find them doing that when they're qualifying. The second thing I don't find them doing when qualifying is they are not understanding if the client is at this point of time sitting in a logical brain or an emotional brain. We all have the logical brain as well as the emotional brain. But when you qualifying clients, you never qualify in the emotional brain, which is the right brain. The right brain is the creative brain. We will create answers. I don't want answers being created. The left brain is based on fact, recall and evidence. So when I'm qualifying the client, and asking how much are you looking at investing? What does your ideal home look like? I don't want him creating because creating means it's not based on fact or evidence. There is no way he's going to put his 7.2 million in that. And at the same time, I have no idea if I'm now going to be presenting options on creative responses. I don't want creative qualifying. So the start point here is build the rapport and the trust. Secondly, understand at this point in the process, is the client sitting in the emotional brain or in his logical brain? If he's in the emotional brain, I need to move him into the logical brain. And I start my qualifying questions in the logical brain. Because the answers I'll get will be fact-based answers. When it comes to the moment when he has to decide, this is going to become important. Answers like open budget. Those come from the right brain, creative. Open budget. There's nothing specific. 
But when you ask them a targeted specific question after that, they immediately come into the left brain. So I might say, I'll say, that's fantastic. I have this nine bedroom villa, absolutely amazing, stunning view of the golf course, 45 million. Would that be something you're interested in? That's when he comes and says, well, no, I was looking more in the range of five to seven million. So the moment they give you vague answers, you go specific, they jump into left brain and become specific. And another thing which I find people don't do well is they fail to summarize what has been qualified. I need to get Anthony to say yes to me before I move to the next stage. That Working is my, on the subconscious. There is my pulse check. So I would simply start by saying, so Anthony, from what you just told me, you're interested in one, two, three, and four. And for that kind of a home, you could invest up to X amount. And you could make a decision within the next one week. Is that correct? Yes. Now, there's only a yes or no. Now, I will listen to the tonality of this. He said, well, yeah, I guess so. That's a three on ten. I'm going nowhere with that. If he says, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's an eight or on ten. Exactly. Exactly. So, the tonality will help. So, qualifying, absolutely important. But there's two things you need to qualify. One, the product or the service that the person is looking to buy. Second, the personality or the thinking style and the decision-making style. That is the unconscious qualification. Now, why is this important? When a client tells me I'm looking for a four-bedroom villa, I prefer it in, say, a community like Dubai Hills. I'm willing to put 11 million for that and I could make a decision in the next one week. That's not all he's saying. He's also actually telling me, I'm looking for a four bedroom in Dubai Hills, I'm willing to put about 11 million in it, can make a decision this week, but I need you to present this to me in a logical, sequential, structured manner because I process information logically, sequentially and structured. Now that is unconscious resonance. Your client is not going to say that to you. In the qualifying approach, you have to have the technique that helps you uncover who is this personality in front of me? People buy from people they like, but people like people like themselves. So I need to understand who this person is and then make my presence. Because if I do not understand if Anthony is left, because Anthony is a left brain person, but if I do not understand that, I might be right brained and I'm all excited about how I present. And in my head, I'm ticking all the boxes and I'm feeling good about it. I'm not putting the 11 million on the table. And Anthony for me, is putting it. It's really boring. Absolutely. All of that details is boring for 100%. me. I'm just here 10 minutes. I want to see the line. numbers. Yes. I want to close the deal. That's it. That's what we call the challenger personality, yeah. which is left brain. So the moment I know that, I forget all the details. I get straight into the bottom line. One, five, ten. This is how much you're going to make. Here's the evidence how you'll make it. Here's what you need to do so we can start making the money for you right away. So I will change my approach to fit the personality of the person who is buying. And that qualification is also equally important, which we are not doing. When it comes to, let, let's make a small scenario. I inquired online on an ad, Facebook, Insta, whatever. I put my name, my number, this lead went to the agent. When the agent is calling me, just give me like on the back of your head, what are, let's say, the first five questions you should tell me? Okay, I think the first thing that needs to be done is uh, connect and build a little bit of rapport with the client. The mistake that is being made is the client generated interest when he saw a particular listing, all right? However, that may be the only thing he saw. 
a mistake would be to narrow myself into that particular thing and start to ask questions about that. I need to ask questions which are a little broader in perspective and come into that. So I might probably start by saying, Anthony, thank you for your inquiry with regards to this. So I reference pointed. And then I would turn around and say, before I actually tell you a little bit more about that opportunity, may I ask you a question or two? And from there, I will go a bit more expansive. So what does your ideal home look like? There is a very real possibility. He saw this opportunity at 2.2 million. It caught his attention. That doesn't tell me that he could not go up to a 3.5 or a 4 million for an even better opportunity that exists there. This became the starting point of my conversation where he saw that and he connected with me. But I shouldn't be simply focused on selling him that. Tomorrow, once he moves into the community, he finds within the same community much more dynamic options. Or the community next to that same location had something even more amazing. So when I qualify, I first go a little beyond what the client has told me immediately. He saw something that simply caught his interest. I need to find out if that interest is in his best interest. So I expand and ask more qualifying questions and then I can narrow it down to this. Because let's take for example, the price was attractive 1.49 million. We know for a fact that someone who says I've got 1.49 million has got about 20 million in the bank. Easy. There is no way the person is going to come and put his 100% cash flow. He's not even going to put 50% of it. But when they tell you I'm looking for something in the range of 1.9, it simply means at this point in time, what I understand in my mind, what I'm looking for, this is what I'm willing to. However, there is always a possibility through a progressive approach to grow that. He might end up with a 2.5 or a 2.8. So we do need to understand, basically, I want to find out what is his dominant buying reason. Why is this the ideal home or investment for him? Okay. I also want to find out at this point in, in terms of investment, what kind of, what is the experience payback he's looking for? A homeowner is something different, which is another thing. I find a lot of people in this industry keep using end user. End user makes me feel like some product coming out at the end of a factory line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't understand why we use end user and we are talking and referring to millionaires and families putting 4 million, 15 million, 20 million in their homes. We're calling them end users. They're homeowners. There is an emotional connect with homeowner. I or have landlords. In investors, landlord, homeowners. End user tells me nothing. It's more of a IT related word or a uh, factory line, you know, production word. So I think I need to find out what is my experience ROI that I'm looking for. A homeowner's experience ROI is the life in that community, coming home to that community with his kids, taking a walk in the park, going for a swim in that pool, I don't know, sitting out there and watching a movie on that screen. It's living the experience. For the investor, I need to be able to understand, is he looking for a long-term investment return? Is he looking for something that's far quicker? So the five questions typically that I would look at would include things like the larger perspective, the dominant buying motive, trying to find that out, Thirdly, looking for the investment appetite. Are you security based or are you opportunity based? We know the market cycles are dependent on each of these. Sure. Yeah. And uh, one reason why a lot of salespeople struggle to, to find the right inventories, 
they don't qualify the investment appetite of the client. So what do I mean by this? If I have a client who is a security based investor, they typically would buy close to completion or they would go into a secondary market or they will come to a property which is already completed but they'll take directly from the developer. They understand they're going to pay a much higher price. They also know that they will get a very aggressive payment plan but they are fine with that because they have not taken any risk. Also the opportunity of immediate returns is much very high. So they're okay with that. Some of them largely will mortgage it as well so they'll spread the cost over 15 years. So for that kind of a person, if I have not qualified what kind of investment appetite he has, imagine a launch of a new community where everything is sand. And I go to this kind of a person and I'm talking about an amazing community, it's going to be ready seven or eight years from now. There is no way this person is going to invest in that. The number of questions he's going to ask is in, will increase, the objections that he will raise are more. Even if he does make a decision instead of he might put agree a 1.5 million when he could have gone up to 4. Because the product is too risky for me at this point. My appetite is not risk based. But we don't qualify that. This, these are my primary qualifying questions. On the other hand if he's opportunity based then I know I can go to him with something which is at the start of its own cycle. He understands it's only sand but he enjoys the benefit of the softest price the best payment plan, the best views and the highest long-term ROI. Nobody can touch him on ROI. That's his reward for his risk. So when I understand inventory in the market, I have to be able to understand which kind of opportunity must be taken to which kind of prospect in the market. Not everything works for everyone. I find something like uh, an issue that most of the guys have, like whenever they receive an online lead that uh, immediately they ask him, okay, what are you looking? The guy say uh, two bedroom, they're like, okay, that's the size, that's the payment. Let me send you the brochure and the payment plan and all of these details and come back to me and they never come back. What I find an issue is like no one sells the city. What you should be doing is like sell Dubai Talk about Dubai, the infrastructure, the price per square foot, the, the, the freehold properties that we have, the security of the escrow account. Tell them that you can register your will in the, the IFC court. Give them that uh, trust that an international investor will be able to invest his money. And the last stage, it will be picking, whether it's a two-bedroom apartment or a townhouse or that stuff. And where do you think this comes from? Is it a lack from the company that they don't train their people, they just recruit people, tell them that's the database, harass them, cold call them, or where do you find this lack comes from? Uh, no, I think uh, the responsibility for this sits on a few shoulders. The first is the company that is recruiting these people. How are we even qualifying the salesperson who enters our door? You should not be hiring someone who is not able to demonstrate to you his understanding of the city, the vision of the future, how investments are working, trends in the market. We don't interview by looking at CVs and past performances past. I'm interested in the future that you have with us here. So I believe we start from our recruitment process where we re-engineer the kind of questions that we are asking to pre-qualify intent of these salespeople because we know past behavior is the best indicator for future. So if I find people who show me that they have an understanding of the market, Dubai, where Dubai sits and how it's attracting people from around the world, if they know how to talk about these things, I already know that this person is probably using some of this currently. 
easier to work with this guy and shape it so that it becomes more effective. So I think it starts with the company in terms of the recruitment. And then it moves in terms of how they train, helping people read numbers. For example, cash to mortgage ratios. Most of the salespeople are not even aware of it. I always get asked, where do I find this information? So how do you understand at what stage your market cycle is? Is it tipping and moving from investor to end users? Because mortgage ratios start going up when projects are coming close to completion and inventory is entering into the market. Investors will disappear. The cash transactions will start dropping. In the last five months, we've had an 83% cash to 17% mortgage. Clear indicator, market is in the investor hands right now. Last month alone, it went to 84% cash. So now again, if we don't understand the dynamics of this and we don't know how to interpret Dubai numbers, trend numbers, then we are going to have a problem selling. Another thing which I usually focus on is when you sell Dubai, it's good to sell the infrastructure, it's good to sell safety, it's good to sell business opportunities, uh, virtual currencies coming in, the futuristic trends, all of these are great. But always keep at the back of your mind, why would a family leave their home country and come to Dubai? My pitch on Dubai must take care of this. If I'm an investor, regardless of whether I'm here or outside, let's take my example. I come from India. I have my roots, my traditional culture there. I've got all my political connections, my family is there, emotional values, my kids have their friends. Why would I go to my wife one day and say, you know what? Let's uproot everything from here. Take the kids out of schools, out of all their emotional connection relationships. Let's go into the middle of the desert where we know absolutely no one and let's start to build a life from scratch. Why would someone from Egypt do that? Why would someone Better quality Jordan? of life. Exactly. Better schools, safety. At least you know that nothing will happen to your kids. They will not be kidnapped. They will not, you know what I mean? Yes. The things is, that you avoid of back yeah. home, whether India or Europe or wherever. So what I'm, the reason I'm saying this is when we present Dubai, we must link all of this to that. Because then as an investor, it makes sense. So, okay, so if people are moving into Dubai, they need homes to live in. Uh, some of them will want to buy their homes in the future. So I have rentability potential, I have resale potential, opportunity for new communities to come up. It's great to have infrastructure, it's great to have all of this. But my way of pitching it is I need to be able to sell it in a way to show why families are moving as a result of this. The COVID response, the UAE topped the world in what of we course, did. how they handled okay. it. Education qualities, think about this city today. Today, I can sit in Dubai, I can get an American degree, I can get Canadian, I can get Australian, Singaporean, I can get New British, Zealand, whatever. I can <laughs> get New Zealand, I can get Indian, Pakistani, anything here. How many international universities are there in your home city? <laughs> I mean, it's the same. With, you take the yeah. best cities in the world, how many international in university options can they give? If I am in London today and I want to get a, uh, a Canadian degree or a, an Indian degree, I probably will have to go to India or Canada. Dubai is the only city in the world where you can sit in this city and they give you over 110 international university options right here in the city. I don't know any city that has been able to achieve this and we did this in 15 years. Now that is another reason why I would want to come and live here with my family because besides all of this, the thinking of the government here is how do we make this the city that people will want to uh, design the most to attractive to the world. 
and so, they have done amazing yeah. doing that. And that's why I feel it's okay to talk about things like the tallest tower in the world, the largest mall, this is all fine, but we don't want to spend too much time on that. Because at the end of the day, I'm not investing in the tallest tower, neither am I investing in the largest mall. And I wouldn't relocate with my family to the city because it has the tallest tower. Absolutely. Yeah. I would take a four-night, five-day package, come with my family, enjoy it. Isn't that what we do when we go on vacation? You go to a place and you look at what the place is known for, but you wouldn't relocate to that place. So we have to change how we present. You have to sell Dubai because the value and the attractiveness of your home or investment is directly connected to the attractiveness of Dubai as a city. But we need to keep in mind those aspects of the city that will attract families to want to come and live here. Business owners who will want to come in here and grab the opportunities. Capitalize on the tax benefits, the uh, online applications, the digital currencies, the ease of doing business, uh, the opportunities being present, the whole world coming into Dubai. We need to capitalize on these but connect these to why real estate is going to be make sense as a result of these things. When people are cold calling, hmm. it's becoming harassment. It's, it's going nuts. Like, I do have few properties. I'm going to show you my phone. I have over 1,400 phone numbers blocked by calling and by WhatsApp. First of all, I need to know from you, what do you think about cold calling and which is the right method to do it and which is the method which is called abusing it? So I need the difference between the two. All right. Uh, Firstly, let's look at cold calling as an instrument, right? If cold calling was not working, it would have been dead long ago. But if you go any city in the world today, cold calling is still being done. They have refined the way they do it, but cold calling is still being done. Because we understand that humans, uh, human beings are, are curious, they want to know things that they're not aware of. And sometimes it is a lot more effective on a call rather than an introductory email or a PDF that goes out because I can engage with a person. I may have questions that come to my mind immediately. In real time, I can get those answered. So cold calling per se is not the problem. It is the approach towards cold calling that people find offensive because at the end of the day, you are interrupting my day. And if you've interrupted my day and then you sound like someone who doesn't really care about me and you're just there to, to sell some kind of service, but you don't really care about me getting value from it, of course I'm going to get irritated. The other challenge is because I get so many calls, the 1,400 that you talked of, I get, and 90% of them sound exactly the same. And even the text is the same. Hi, I'm, I'm texting you regarding your property in XYZ. Is it available for sale or for rent? Name of the person, name of the company. Yeah, so he, uh, so it make you think, like, as you said, I invested a million dollars in this property with all due respect, but who are you? to even engage with you on this conversation because you just send me a WhatsApp. So what will be the better approach, in your opinion, which will make me at least like click with this person or at least to answer him? Okay, uh, the approach changes based on the, the type of lead you work with. You have inbound leads and you have outbound leads. Inbound leads are easier to speak to because they have at least shown some interest. However, that interest only allows me to start to speak to them. What I do after the call, after that in the call becomes important. The outbound leads are the ones where people end up having the, the, this kind of a resistance to the call. Now there's two ways you can deal with that. When we talk about outbound leads, outbound leads again fall into two categories. And the one that is not being exploited, which should be done actually, which will minimize this 
a feeling of a cold call is the outbound leads that are existing in your system. Take any large brokerage. We spend so much of money on data collection. We do uh, lead generation, marketing. We take part in roadshows, stands. We do all of that. And we have this whole pile of leads with us. At some point, a broker is in contact with them, has a conversation. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. That lead slips through and is lying in the system somewhere. Now, two months later, three months later, we don't have to always be looking for a new lead. I simply revisit Anthony and I already have my intro contact, point of contact. I spoke with Anthony on X project three months ago. It didn't happen or someone else spoke to Anthony. Now I take that same lead. I call up Anthony. I say, Anthony, good morning. My name is Anand. We spoke a couple of months ago with regards to or you had inquired with regards to. The reason for my call is, and then I can introduce something else. I've already answered the question that's in Anthony's mind, which is where did you get my number from? Because we spoke a few months ago. You had inquired a few months ago. So that kind of person doesn't react negatively to your call. And he's at least willing to have a conversation because I'm showing him I have done some sort of homework and pre-qualification. Anthony had put in a response for a project that was a 3.5 million, which was Villas. I know that Anthony's interest is in those kind of communities within that kind of investment range. Some pre-qualification has already happened. And so when I call those people, they're sitting in my pipeline. They're pre-qualified. At some point, they had an interest. They're easier for me to get in touch with. It shows I've done some sort of an effort and there's a higher conversion probability on some of them. Then comes the absolute cold person, zero contact, never heard of you before, and you're trying to contact him. Here again, I found if you are professional in your approach, people are not upset. People are irritated and upset when they have an unprofessional approach. So one of the things that I found works very well for me, I do it all the time. Say I were to call you as Anthony, and if I, I introduce myself, Anthony, good morning, my name is Anand, and I'm calling from X. I wait, I pause. I wait for Anthony to give me some sort of an acknowledgement. What is this regarding? Uh-huh. Go on. Anything. I need to hear the sound. And after that, what I say becomes absolutely critical. I would say, Anthony, thank you for taking my call. The reason I'm calling is, you see, this thank you, I don't find people saying it. Now, why should we say the thank you? Firstly, I have interrupted your day. It's simply professional. Secondly, even if you have been irritated by non-professional callers and you have this block and you probably want to be hostile or, or tough in your response, when you hear someone saying thank you for answering, the reason I'm calling is you will tone down your aggression. Now what happens when you tone down your aggression? Your mind opens more. When you are irritated, your mind is closed. Anything I say Just is going up. Absolutely. Yeah. Or I want to report you. Yeah. I want to do something. So what I need to do is tone down your aggression. We use neutralizers for that. That's the reason why I don't go into this straight spiel that people use. Good morning, my name is X. I'm calling from this. The reason I'm calling you is because of this. We just learned da, da, da. I firstly don't even know if the person is listening. And that's what ticks people off. So I have a very short introduction. Now, you don't know why I've called. It's not a cold call. You cannot complain. I've just said, Anthony, good morning. My name is Anand and I'm calling from X. And then, so I pause, get some reaction. Now I know he's listening because I need him to hear my thank you. Thank you for answering. The reason I'm calling is what works extremely powerfully at that point is using a hook. Uh, to use an analogy from fishing, 
Imagine if you're fishing and you want to get that big fish and you just throw a hook into the water with nothing on it. A fish is not going to bite. It's going to stay there. <laughs> and the fish is not going to bite. I need to disguise it. I need to put something on it that appeals to the fish. That is what we call a hook. So, and a hook statement is very powerful because it does a few things. The first thing is a hook will always start with, did you know? And we know from psychology, on an unconscious level, every time you saw a statement which said, did you know? What followed was accepted as an exciting, interesting fact. Let's look around, it's all over the place. Did you know? So when you start with, did you know? Your prospect, who you have already toned down in his level of aggression because you said, thank you for answering. I'm calling with regards to, and then say, did you know? The client is more open to accepting it. The second thing in the hook is you want to keep out certain specifics. You don't give names of projects, you don't give names of communities, you don't give the name of the developer. And the reason is you want the client to ask you which one is it. If I give it to you, so let's take an example. If I tell you, uh, did you know that EMAR just launched and I name the project and the community, I've given all the information to Anthony. There is nothing anymore? for Andy to ask. But if I had to say something like this, did you know that with just $140,000, you could own a golf-facing luxury apartment in the world's best-designed golf community? Now, what does Anthony say? What is that? Which one is it? Or, even if he's sarcastic, best-designed community? You're joking, right? I would say, would you like me to tell you how? I'll match his tone, mirror it, and say, get it's better to hear this rather than hearing, I'm busy right now, call me back later, I'm in a I'm meeting. I'm in a meeting, yeah, exactly. So all I need to do is I need a hook. So when people don't have the uh, different approach, this is what is going to happen. Now the second thing, why it irritates people. I called Anthony, for whatever reason, Anthony said I'm not interested or I'm busy right now. I call back again a day later, two days later. I call again. I make four, five calls and all my calls sound the same. Of course, I'm going to get irritated. I have better things to do in my life because you said the same thing. We do not change our approach. So let's say I spoke with Anthony and for whatever reason, whatever reason, I wasn't able to convince Anthony that this was the best time to buy. Now, I wait for a few days. I send Anthony the Henley and Partner study which came out on the 8th of Feb, which put the UAE as number one in the world for residency-related real estate investments. Number one in the world. So all I do within two to three days, I make a second contact, not on phone. I send the study with a voice note. Because in the voice note, I have tonality, influence. And I would say, hey, Anthony, I just came across a study that put UAE number one with regards to the real estate investments right now. I thought this might be of interest to you. I'm sharing it with you. I'll give you a call in a couple of days just to see if you have any questions. Send. That's second contact. You're alive in his mind, but I've given him something of value. I've also set him up by saying, I'll give you a call in a couple of days just to see if you have any questions about it. I have to vary my approach. My second approach, my third approach. When I bring something different to it, I don't irritate people. And once you can start doing that, you will find people start becoming more and more open to you. Uh, without taking names, I just conducted a training using these, this, these techniques and how to do the cold call. I don't call it cold call, by the way, I call it cash calling. That's the purpose of the call anyway, exactly. right? is to make money. So it's a cash call. So now, I did the training and one of the brokers 
took the first three steps, which is the introduction, the thank you, the acknowledgement, and the hook. You have it scripted. I have it scripted. And steps. Line by line, word for word. And I show them which words they can play with, which ones they cannot play with. All right. Well, in fact, we'll talk about script and structure later because I have a take on that. But this broker took and applied it. He made 10 phone calls. Every single client, every single client spoke to him. And today in the training, he opened up and told the whole team. He said, I tried it. It worked. My second challenge now is what do I say after that? <laughs> I said, we will cover that in the next session. Yeah. So, so it worked. And he tried it and it, he said it made sense. He said, I never thought about doing it this way. And that's how it made sense. Now, when we come to scripts and structures, the structure is more important than the actual script. What is this? The structure is your control on that part of the process. The structure, if it is put, if it is done well, takes into account left brain, right brain, takes into account the psychology of buyers, their thinking preferences, takes into account influence and build up that you do through the structure you don't mess with the structure the script is the actual wording that you use when you are executing the structure you can have changes there based on my personality left brain right brain which type of client i'm talking to i can play with this certain words in there would be absolutes you cannot touch those words at that place in the script those are sacrosanct we underline that and we say don't touch this don't change this and we'll demonstrate why that needs to come in there so maybe let me give you an example all right i am starting on a cold call this is a lead that is overseas now i've contacted the person and i could do this whether the person has generated interest or not before i get into the qualifying i need to ask a couple of questions to warm this person up so i might start a simple question by saying so anthony have you visited dubai before now, that's a non-threatening question to ask. And it is perfectly logical to ask why I am going to offer an opportunity in this city. I want to know how familiar he is with the city. If I don't ask this question and later I say, ah, the reason I'm calling is there is an absolutely amazing opportunity in Dubai. He's going to turn and say, oh, Dubai, I heard about it. It's a bubble. He's going to come with all of this. I'm going to have to work myself backwards into it. So I will set the person up in their mind to understand why this is an opportunity that I should be exploring. International investor, for an international investor. Even if it's an international investor who's calling in, or I'm calling, it's a cold call, remember. Yeah, but for international, just the fact that we don't have a tax in here, we don't have capital gain tax, and we don't have like corporate tax or income tax, this is by itself is 50% of the job done. Completely agree, <laughs> yeah. all right. I need to get to a point in my conversation where he's willing to listen to these things with me. So for that, I need to show him my interest in him. I need to understand how he will, because he could be looking at alternate markets. In Las Vegas today, you're getting absolutely amazing returns, where even if you pay out your taxes, you still make amazing returns. True. So again, that's why I need to see his perception. So all I'm doing is simply asking. So have you visited Dubai before? Then my second question, if he says, well, yes, I have visited Dubai before, I could simply ask him, so what do you like about Dubai so much? You see, it's a leading question, but he's going to focus on what he loves. I love the infrastructure, the fact that you're tax-free, uh, the quality Beach, of education. Da, da, da. Whatever be his answer, I'm going to do something. This is where the structure comes in. Whatever be Anthony's answers, one, two, three, four, five, I will simply say exactly. You're right. Yeah. 
you're right exactly i love you're right because it gives him that that you're right yeah okay and then i will say dubai is one of the most visited cities in the world both for business and pleasure that's the reason why so many people are investing in property so i have my bridge coming in and then from there i will move and say so if you were to consider an opportunity in dubai what kind of opportunity would you be interested in so i go seamlessly from my introduction into managing a brush off into the warm up questions that lead to dubai and exactly you get him to agree and you match the tonality professor santney what do you love well i like one i like two i like three i like four i would turn and say exactly i'll match the tone we say why well, i love this. i like this that's what i like it's amazing i say exactly you mirror and match and say that's the reason why so many people so i reinforce his answer say that's the reason why people are investing so if you were to consider an opportunity what would your ideal investment look like so i would get into that so the structure is really important certain words need to be said at certain places in the structure take for example client is raising an objection there is a structure to handling objections and i have tried this literally in so many companies in dubai and even the experienced sales people fall on this for example let's say you are say uh, the client says the price is too high how do you deal with that compared to what okay you see this is what happens i hear compared to what or uh, which specific project have you looked at how did you decide that or they justify why the price is like that but then there is not the right approach why let me ask another question when the client said the price is too high how do you even know it's a real objection it could be a counter to negotiate it could just be an excuse because he just wants to get away and this is what everybody complain oh market is down uh interest rates are going up they'll throw things at you because those are the easiest things to throw and that's what everyone's talking about now right so when they throw that at you you do not even know the moment i say compared to what how did you decide that where did you get that info what i'm actually doing is i have accepted this is an objection and i'm attempting to handle it we never do that the structure teaches me that you will first qualify if this is a genuine objection or is it a smoke screen or is it an excuse but before i do that i need to use a neutralizer because in the client's mind it is an issue it may not be but it is and when it's a negative thing in his mind his mind is closing why would i attempt to answer something to a mind that's closing so i will stop the mind from closing that is my first step and the way i would do is i would say anthony i can see this is important for you or anthony i understand i'm glad you brought that up thank you for sharing that with me that's a valid concern all i'm doing is stopping antony's mind from closing in that moment then my next question would be is that the only thing stopping you from going ahead now how do you answer that it's only a yes or a no a maybe is in the no so what i've done now is i've not even answered it i said antony i can see this is important is that the only thing stopping you from going ahead now if he says well yes that's the only thing stopping me then i bring another structure in i have to repeat the objection and get clarification but before i repeat it i must say when you say so let me put the three together and probably you have any questions after that so antony tells me uh, markets are down right now i would turn around and say antony markets are important or i can see this is important for you is that the only thing stopping you from going ahead well yeah that's the only thing that's stopping me so antony when you say the markets are down what exactly do you mean 
See, I'm not answering it. So now I'll get to qualify. But before I get to asking, compared to what? How did you decide? I want to qualify. Is that the real objection? And that's the, re that's the reason why structure. When you say the markets are down, what exactly do you mean? And then I use a neutralizer after your answer. I'm glad. I thank you for sharing. Or I understand. Then when I give my reply, this is so powerful in objection. It's called the third party approach. You never answer an objection by you giving the answer directly. At the end of the day, who are you, a sales guy? You are obviously going to talk well about it. It's a pitch. But third party is where I use investors, people like him. So I will turn around and say, thank you for sharing that. I know exactly how you feel. Some of my best buyers initially felt the same. Here's what they discovered. And then you give your answer. It's no more yours, it's theirs. And there are people like him. The credibility and the acceptance rate jumps by 67% when you use third party. I know exactly how you feel. Many of the buyers in the market initially felt the same. Here's what they discovered. Then you give the answer. But you don't stop with the answer. You say, does that answer your question satisfactorily? I must say satisfactorily. Because if it says, well, yeah, that answers my question satisfactorily, I go with the trial close. Uh, which unit would you like to go for? How do you plan to make the down payment? In that case, let's just finish the paperwork on this, shall we? So we can discuss what happens next. You see, if you follow the structure, I firstly qualified. I can see this is important. Is that the only thing stopping you? And you've said yes. Then I've said, when you say that, what do you mean? You've given me an example. You're, you've given me the answer. Then I actually have come back on that and said, I understand. Some of my best buyers initially felt the same. Here's what they discovered. Give the answer. And say, does that answer your question satisfactorily? He says, yes, it's a logical thing. Which unit would you like to go for? The structure is important. The words can be played with a bit. So I'm old for structure. I love scripts. My only challenge with scripts is two things. They can become canned after some time. People lose the passion and they just say it. I forgot words even. And, and the other challenge is scripts are typically left-brained in approach. They are written by people who are essentially left-brained. So why? Scripts have attention to detail. They pay attention to structure, to sequence. And so therefore, left-brained people are the ones who are extremely good at writing out scripts. But that means I am ignoring 60% of humans on the planet who are right-brained. A left-brained script does not work for a right-brained client. So the person writing this, lots of people are very good at writing scripts. But they have not thought about what is the personality profile of the client with whom this is going to be used. There's also 60% of the sales team who are right brain. They cannot resonate with that written script. Because it's left brain. It's language that doesn't make it doesn't excite them. Doctor, I want to ask you a question. Are you able to know if a person is right brain or left brain from his profession? 100%. You know it from the profession, you know it from the business card, you know it from the job title, you know it in the first 30 seconds when he speaks on the phone, you know it from the tone in the voice, the length of his sentences, whether he's framing his conversation with questions or sentences, the, how big the sentences are, how specific they are, how subjective they are. You also can read the personality and understand the client by looking at a WhatsApp or an email or a phone call or face to face. Oh. At the end of the day, whether it's WhatsApp, email, phone call, or face-to-face, -face, those are just channels. It's one human with another human. 
So we need to understand the personality. So let's take a simple example without getting into those details. Imagine a client who writes your WhatsApp and he's saying things like, how much? Show me. This is a person who we know yes. is left brain challenger profile, extremely impatient, does not want to waste time with words. And they're usually loud. Yes. Very loud. Because left brain challenger profiles tend to be loud. They tend to interrupt you and they come very direct to the point and they're very specific. Now imagine a property consultant or a broker replying, writing a paragraph. The first natural thing to me when I open my WhatsApp is I see this paragraph and say, well, I have to read that whole thing to find my answer. I switch off. I've killed the rapport with a person already because I'm not understanding that his preferred communication style is being demonstrated to me. I need to step back from my WhatsApp, look at that and respond. You get an email, first do a bird's eye view. Is it a short email, long email, long sentences, short sentences, bullet points, paragraphs. So I have to mirror the same in my response. On an unconscious level, he's looking at himself. He loves it. So that's where people are giving us the clues and the indicators all the time. And yes, you can absolutely find out from all of this, the profession, the title, anything. I, I, you can find within a particular profession, different kinds. So if you had to take an example, let's take medicine. Uh, just an example. Surgeons are all challenger profiles, left brain, front brain. Surgeons are people who are bottom line focused they operate, they do what they have to do without emotion engaging. Logical, practical, effective and efficient. I get in, I finish the job and I go out. Emergency response personnel are all left brain and front brain, challenges. Because when you have chaos, there's been an accident, a train has derailed, a plane has crashed, it's chaos. I need self-organized, self-managed, detached people to come into that, ignore the families that are screaming and the panic that's going around, be absolutely zoned in and focused, know exactly what they have to do, get onto it immediately, finish the work and get out. Right brain, they will right freeze brain maybe. Will, <laughs> right brain is the drama and the emotion and they're screaming and they're running around. If they're right brain, back brain, which are the responder type of, they faint when they see blood. So I don't want that kind of a person when I'm recruiting for an emergency response personnel. So similarly, if I'm looking at a lab technician, a research person, the pharmacists, they're all left brain, but they are back brain. High attention to detail, process, structure, dotting every I, crossing every T, looking at the prescription, writing the correct dosage. You know, people who are, think of accountants, think of lawyers, think of auditors, they come in that right profile. Brain. No, left brain. Even accountants are accountants, left brain. left brain. I felt like they're right no, brain. No, no, no. I would. Last, the last thing I want is an accountant who's right brain. Right brain is creative, imaginative. I don't want my accountants getting creative with numbers. <laughs> okay. I want them to be deadbeat boring, left brain, compliant, process oriented, high attention to detail, accuracy driven, and once uh, perfectly motivated to do the same thing again and again and again and again based on fact, proof, everything. Accountants are all like that. The day you have an accountant who smiles in the building, your recruitment has gone wrong. I wouldn't want an accountant in there. That's true. Yeah, so I understand now. So the, my research guy is in there. Trauma counselors, pediatricians come from the right brain, back brain, the responders, friendly, warm, patient, understanding, smiling face. They, they can just exude that comfort people so my trauma 
So the accidents happened, the emergency response people came in, they took control, they did it the way they had to. People are sitting there wrapped in blankets, their world has fallen apart. That's when I want my trauma person to go and sit next to them, patient, and take them through it. So we're still in the medical profession, but based on the nature of the job, I need a different thinking and behavior approach. Now bring this to sales. How does this work in sales? There's three personalities, Anthony, that every salesperson should master. Every company should master. The first is the personality of the product. Now, you cannot touch the personality of the product. For example, a Damak Lagoons has a very different personality to a downtown tower. Or a beachfront. Or a beachfront. Yeah. But there is a personality to the product. It's important for us to understand the personality of the product because on an unconscious level, buyers resonate with that. Uh, one of the examples I always use is a BMW versus a Mercedes. Now, if you look at both the cars, two German cars, both German cars, both pretty much cost the same. They can do the same things. Status level, they sit in the same bracket. You're in a hotel lobby, a Beamer pulls up and a Merc pulls up. You really can't tell the two apart. And the, the drivers guy, are different. Eh? The guy who buys a BMW can also buy the Mercedes. Yet, why is it that someone who drives a Mercedes will never drive a BMW and vice versa? If you ask them, why do you like the Mercedes? Status, German car, high-tech, all of that. They'll give you the same reasons. Durability. It's the same thing yeah. with the BMW. That is because we know from research that there is an unconscious resonation between the personality of the driver with the personality of the car. So we need to understand in sales the personality of the product. We have a, a, a new launch coming up and we have been told to focus on Dubai South, secondary market. What is the personality of Dubai South product? Lifestyle in Dubai South. Then I need to resonate that with the personality of my prospect. Because if the personality jars there, it's going to take longer to close the deal, more objections will come up. So back to the Mercedes example. I find salespeople telling me, okay, so he drives a Mercedes. I was able to convince him to take the BMW. I'm a great sales guy. I said, no, you're not. Because in the process of getting him to buy the BMW, you would have had to, at some unconscious level, touch his integrity to Mercedes. People don't like that. He would have raised every possible objection in town. The time that he would have taken to decide to buy that, you could have sold three Mercedes in that time. Yeah. So now you get him to buy, his heart is not completely in it, you went through a lot of effort and objections and one month later the car is on Dubizel and he's back in a Mercedes. So you're not being very smart. So does that mean that I do not approach the Mercedes guy for the BMW? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is find out the personality of your prospect and see how you can resonate his personality with something in the BMW that will make sense. So we need to be able to align the personality of these two. And then the third, the most critical, the personality of my salesperson. Because I will resonate with the salesperson based on his personality. The salesperson resonates with the product and is excited about it because it fits his personality. Now here's the secret to selling. You can't touch the personality of the product. We won't let you do that. You can't touch the personality of the prospect. He won't let you do that. The only personality you can actually work with is yours. That's where the adaptability comes in. Whole brain thinking, left brain, right brain, front, back. That's why it becomes critical. Go aggressive, it wait, go critical. for the curve. Yeah. Take a classic, you have an audit management software. Audit management software is what we call an organizer profile. It's left brain, back brain. Now, that product is dead boring. 
at least for someone who's not an auditor. It's dead boring. High attention to detail, process 1, 2, 2.1, 2.2, do the same thing again and again, compliance. It's that kind of product. Now, who's your client for that kind of product? The same type of person, an accountant or an auditor. He carries the same personality. He loves it. But you have a right brain sales guy who wants to th put out the red carpet, fireworks and get elephants to come, shoot from the hip. No structure, organization, no process with which he sells. And this guy, you hire him to sell a product that's dead boring. Within one day, the sales guy is going to put the gun to his head because he cannot resonate with the product. When he doesn't resonate with the product, he's not going to work, wake up excited to sell it. Then he's going to meet a guy whom he's not excited about. So common sense tells me that if my personality of my product largely requires a certain personality of buyer, I select salespeople who demonstrate that kind of personality. Unless I have a product that crosses personalities like homeowners. If that's the case, I need to coach my salespeople to become whole brain thinkers, to know how to adapt when a Loai comes in or when a Morgan comes in. Completely different personalities. Same villa, both are ready to put 5 million, both want it in the same community, same time frame. But how Morgan processes things and approaches, completely different from Loai. And I sit there and I have one standard approach for both and I wonder why one buys and one doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. Coming to what you're saying, uh, there's a case I always, it always happens, I don't know, like I just want to find out from you if it's a mistake from the salesperson or actually that buyer just met a friend or a cousin and they turned them down. So in lots of cases you will see buyers, they come, they see, they book, sometimes they even pay the full down payment, they sign the papers, they go home, either in the evening, like by midnight or the next day you will get that phone call, hey, I don't want to go forward, I want to cancel this transaction. In these scenarios, is it that the salesperson really like uh, was targeting the emotions of that buyer in the same second but didn't fulfill everything mentally or was it because just this guy was like uh, wasn't really knowing what he's doing and then he got some advice let's call it advice look in a push sale in a push sale is where the client isn't 100 percent convinced and you have a very aggressive salesperson who literally is breathing down your back and he pushes you to a point where the only way to get out of it is to close the deal so there are some cases where the push sale will get people to introspect later when they go out. In, that's one reason why it can happen, where it's a push sale. This comes from the salesperson. The second reason is you have impulsive buyers. These are right brain buyers, the front brain, the right brain. They're impulsive, gut feel. They like something in that moment, they just go for it. Not much thought has gone into it. These people will pay first and think later. So that is another reason. So, but even there, I wouldn't blame, put it on the client because I understand the client doesn't understand these things. I am the salesperson. I should be able to figure out, is this an impulse buyer? So then I adapt my approach to manage impulse. If I don't do that, he'll impulse buy, he'll impulse cancel as well. So that's what's going to happen. So what I need to do here is understand the impulse buyer, present it in a manner where he's going to be able to fully recognize the value of it because what's going to happen they will buy now, they'll do research later. And when they go out and do the research, we cannot even qualify the person they'll talk to. Suddenly, everybody in Dubai becomes an expert on real estate. And they have only one agenda, to tell you you made a mistake. The third reason it happens, and that's why it's really the broker or the salesperson who has to really pay attention to whole brain thinking, 
You see, if you look at the anatomy of a sales engagement, whether on the phone call, email, face to face, your engagement process must, must always start in the right brain, even for left brain people. Because when someone talks to me on the phone, either he's irritated because I made a call to him or he's anxious about something or he's curious about something. That's a feeling. He's entering into the engagement on a feeling, which is right brain. I cannot start the process in my left brain. I must get in on right brain because that's why warm up and rapport and trust for all feelings. And this is where salespeople short circuit the process. They don't want to spend time doing that. So that you have a client sitting in an emotion. Then I need to pull him from there into left brain through setting an agenda because the selling process must go through my left brain. The taking control, the qualifying, the pitching, the objection handling. But for each of these stages, my pulse check, which is an emotional check, is done in the right brain. So at each stage, I do a quick pulse check in the right brain. Closing is an emotional thing. So it will happen in the right brain. But what leads me to the emotion was my entire process and approach. So the logic I use, the comparisons, the evaluation, analysis, the questions, the objection was all left brain. As a result of that, I will like it or not like it. That's a feeling. The decision is made on the feeling. The buying decision is a feeling. Buyer's regret is also a feeling. So salespeople need to understand that I, will, I, I need to take them through the left. I start in the right, my warm-up, my wrap-up and closing in the right. When I'm in the right, once I wrap up, I need to manage buyer's remorse before the client leaves. Because when they leave, for sure they're going to talk to people. So I manage it. There's an approach we use in our training called the icing on the cake. Yeah. And the icing on the cake, basically, it's not the cake, but it makes the cake look even better. So the icing on the cake is a layering that is done in the mind of this guy. So he goes away saying, wow, I knew it was good, but I didn't realize how good. So yes, I completely agree that uh, this thing happens, but I would, after all my years of experience in sales, put the responsibility for this squarely on the salesperson. Doctor, I cannot get enough from this conversation and I'm sure the viewers too. So I'm just gonna, uh, ask you this final question before we finish this episode. Which is your favorite real estate company in Dubai and why Provident? <laughs> <laughs> so the answer joking. was in the question itself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Thanks a lot uh, for this uh, really like uh, the, like the information, the, the psychological part. Uh, for our viewers, in case someone wants to reach out to you, can you put your credentials, your social media, your email, everything on this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and do that. In fact, most people do anyway connect with me because I'm networked with most of the brokers and the developers, but happy to do that. And I'll share that information with you and you can put it into the video and uh, anyone can get in touch with me and we Thanks can take it from the next This level. has been amazing. Thanks a lot for watching, guys, and see you in the next episode.